0: The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the Word of the Lord. In the beginning, in the beginning of a new year, we make resolutions. We resolve to eat better, to exercise more. We resolve to call or text our loved ones, to make amends with those perhaps that we are in heirs with. We resolve to spend less or to save more or both. We resolve not to live with the burden of past mistakes, but with the hope of a fresh start. We resolve to make lists and to stay on task, to set some goals, and to work on achieving them. How's that for a modern-day prologue to the beginning of a new year? Now, some of those resolutions resonated with you, I imagine. And I spotted a few rolling eyes at the sheer notion of making lists. In the beginning, we are convinced that this time, this year, is going to be it. We will stick to it, whatever it is for each one of us. But did you know that only about 8% of us stick to the resolutions that we make at the beginning of a new year? According to Forbes magazine, self-improvement, or at least the desire for it, is an American hobby. (laughs) It's why so many of us, some estimates, say more than 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Now, for comparison, about one-third of Americans watch the Super Bowl. So what that means is more of us make New Year's resolutions than watch the Super Bowl. But for all the good intentions, only a tiny fraction of us, that 8%, keep our resolutions and hit our goals, according to researchers at the University of Scranton. But I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. If you're a resolution person, more power to you. Here at the threshold of a new year, this is a time for beginning and becoming. Beginning a new, healthier pattern of living. Becoming a better version of yourself than you were in 2018. So, two more days to knock it out and then it's starting fresh. Now just like the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, John begins by telling the story of Jesus coming into the world. But John approaches the story of Jesus' nativity a bit differently than the other Gospels. A lot differently, actually. But it is the account of Christ coming into the world nonetheless. John's Christmas would be difficult to pull off in a children's pageant. There are no babies lying in a manger. There are no parents traveling a great distance to Bethlehem. There are no angels, no shepherds. There is no star or magi. John doesn't give us much of a a historical account of Christmas. Instead, what he does give us is a confession of faith about the incarnation of God. He isn't so concerned about exactly what happened in Bethlehem during the days of Caesar Augustus or King Herod he's much more concerned with what we believe about Jesus and how we encounter God in the person of our Savior. There is a famous painting called Holy Family by Rembrandt, painted in the 17th century. You might know it. It is housed at the Hermitage Museum in Russia. So if you do know it, I invite you to envision that as I describe it. And if if you don't, then hear my words and perhaps envision it for yourself. In this painting, Rembrandt portrays the Nativity as if it was an event taking place during his time. The attire and furnishings are what one would find in a typical Dutch home in the 17th century. Mary is seated with an opened, well-thumbed book that is presumably the scripture's. Held open by her left hand, her right hand on the top of a rocking cradle, pulled, she has pulled aside a covering to reveal a soundly sleeping Jesus. Mary's head is turned from the book to gaze upon her baby boy. Immediately behind her in much fainter light is Joseph bending over and planing a piece of wood, Above him, in the upper left of the painting, are young angels, cherubim, hovering with outstretched wings. Thomas Traeger says whether or not Rembrandt intended it, the painting is an icon of different ways to encounter and understand the Word of God. On the one hand, there is the Bible, the book that Mary has been reading as Jesus sleeps and Joseph works in the background. The word of God is to be found in the scriptures. We read the words and find that we are addressed by the word of God. We read them again and again. That is why the book is well-thumbed. Rembrandt pictures Mary as one who knows well the word of God and ponders it in her heart. She does not only ponder the page, though, She also ponders the infant beside her, the Word made flesh, rather than the Word made paper and ink. The Word is a blood-borned, breath-enlivened creature sleeping beside his mother. When Mary returns to her reading, she will understand what she reads at a greater depth, because she has encountered the Word through the Word made flesh. And when she reads to the child she will understand the child at a greater depth because of what she has encountered in the word through the words in the book. Back and forth between word made flesh and word through words, this is the connection and contrast suggested by Rembrandt's painting. So I want to encourage you to look that painting up and perhaps ponder what you've heard this morning. I think all of this is helpful in allowing this morning's scripture passage from John to capture our creative imaginations. For some of us, the language of John is rather abstract, especially compared to the images of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke of the couple seeking shelter on a dark night only to find a place in a barn. We can easily conjure up pictures in our mind's eye of these images. Of the young couple with little help maybe from Hallmark or our children's Bibles that we grew up reading or the movies or television. Those pictures are readily available to our creative imaginations. Compared with the nativity stories, John's opening words have a more distant, reflective, intellectual ring to them. Instead of a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger, John sets off echoes that go all the way back to creation. In the beginning was the Word. What Matthew and Luke portray in homelier terms, John gives us in grander theological declarations. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. This part of the beginning of John's Gospel is more challenging to envision, except the last verse. Eugene Peterson brings it alive with his interpretation. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. When we think of neighborhood. We think of our homes, our dwellings, our most intimate spaces. It is difficult to feel distant from such imagery. This verse, John 1:14, is a great example of why I so appreciate Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of scripture called The Message. From time to time, you might hear preachers refer to Peterson's rendition of a passage of Scripture because it can bridge the gap of understanding for us. It helps with verses and stories that feel distant to making them more relatable to our modern-day sensibilities. It is a good companion to read alongside Scripture, but not in place of it. So, If Jesus moved in next door into your neighborhood and Jesus was still Savior of the world and not just someone new that we had to get used to, how would we behave? Would we need to act much differently from the ways we treat our neighbors today? Would we need to be more accepting, more understanding, more willing to pay attention to our neighbor and his needs? It's worth pondering how we might describe who we would need to become to truly be Jesus' neighbor. This is the season of beginning and becoming. It's a time when we celebrate the coming of the Savior of the world, Into our hearts and to our very lives. What difference does it make for you and for me that Christ has come? Perhaps prioritizing time spent with those you love and with those who love you. Perhaps it's prioritizing time to come to get to know someone that you have avoided for one reason. Perhaps working toward reconciliation with someone or offering forgiveness. Maybe allowing yourself to receive forgiveness. I was reminded this week that Ernest Hemingway told the story of the Spanish father who wanted to be reconciled with his son. Who ran away from home to the city of Madrid. The father misses the son and puts an advertisement in the local paper, El Liberal. The advertisement read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco is such a common name in Spain that when the father went to the Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco, waiting for their father. Hemingway's story reminds us of a a central difference Christ's coming into the world can mean for us and for the world in which we live. So here we are at the end of a calendar year and at the threshold of a new one. Theoretically, this season of beginning and becoming is open ended. What will you begin? Who will you become? Who will you forgive? With whom might you work toward reconciliation? So, what we might call the Christian. The Christmas, what we might call the Christmas Confession of John's community, extends beyond a baby being born and wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It is the belief that he existed before creation and comes and lives among us even now. John can remind us that Christmas is more than all the pageantry of the Nativity, or the Christmas trees and the candlelight services. Christmas is a concrete demonstration of God's love for all humanity, an intentional expression of God's love for us. The more traditional Christmas accounts found elsewhere are treated as temporary. They happened back then. I remember years ago, when I was a resident pastor Resident minister at First Presbyterian in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one of my responsibilities was to call at the hospitals to visit people who were hospitalized. St. Joseph's Hospital is one of the smaller hospitals uh, outside of Ann Arbor. And near the entrance to that hospital during the holiday season, I noticed a wonderful, life sized, and lifelike nativity scene, complete with a stable structure and all the figures of the story, the manger and the the hay and, and all of the people and the livestock, they were all a part of this, the baby being at the center. It was really lovely. But then, but then I started to walk away and as I walked away, what was not so wonderful was that I noticed a tire. The structure was on wheels. The whole thing was on a trailer, and they hadn't done the best job of sort of, you know, covering that part up. And I started looking closer, and I could see the trailer, the thing, the, the neck of it that connects to the hits and everything, and I was like, well, that's, that's not so nice. But then I thought further, you know, that's, that's kind of how we treat the nativity scene each year. We wheel it out in December, we take our pictures in it in the atrium, and then we wheel it back into storage the rest of the year. So, a message that we can take from John today is that even though soon enough the decorations will be stored away until next Christmas, the story is more encompassing, more overarching, more compelling. Christ was before all things, is in all things today, and will be in all things in the future. All of that which is yet to come. That's who we celebrate in this season. The past, the present, and the future. The existence of Christ in it all. It's not easy to put that on a trailer and wheel it into storage. John's account is a bit surprising to us as well. Read alongside the other stories of God's son's arrival, John startles us with the reality that Christ came to his own people, but they did not know him. They did not recognize him. They were missing what the Christmas story was intended to be for them. I wonder if we, too, miss Christ because of all of of the things that can distract us. They're lovely things, beautiful music, lights, parties, family and friends. It's all good stuff, but does it distract us? From allowing ourselves to carry forward the message that we celebrate into January, February, and March, and on into the year. Are we missing that story? Are we about to put it away into storage until next year? I think John's words to us tell us not to do that. In her collection of poetry for Advent and Christmas, called Kneeling in Bethlehem, Anne Weems writes this poem. The title is Gifts from God, and it begins with these familiar words of Scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The Lord God gave the peoples of the earth a garden. And the people said, that's very nice, God, but that's not enough. We'd like a little knowledge, please. The Lord God gave them knowledge. And the people said, now that we have knowledge, we'd like things. The Lord God gave the people things. But they always said, that's not quite enough. So the Lord God gave them gifts unequal. The sun, lightning and thunder, rain and flowers, animals and birds and fish, trees and stars and the moon. God gave them the rainbow. God parted the Red Sea and gave them manna. God gave them prophets and children and each other. But still, the people said, that's not quite enough. God loved the people, and out of ultimate merciful goodness, God gave them the gift of gifts, a Christmas present never to be forgotten. God gave them love in the form of God's Son, even Christ Jesus. There are some that don't open their eyes or their ears or their hearts, and they still say, that's not quite enough. They wander through the stores looking for Christmas, but others open their whole being to the Lord, bending their knees to praise God, carrying Christmas with them, every day for these the whole world is a gift all thanks be to god amen friends let us pray loving and gracious god we give you thanks for christmas we give you thanks for the significance of your love born to us in the person of jesus christ We pray this day that you would help us carry Christmas with us each and every day of the year, and that we would find encouragement, and that we would give encouragement, that we would forgive and be forgiven, that we would know and be known, that we would see and be seen. Help us, Lord, to know your nearness as we enter this new season of life together, that we may celebrate you. And you're coming into the world and into our very lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray.